broadcasting at 15 megahertz uh loud and clear does that Thanks. microphone have some bass to it uh what do you mean i don't know it just sounds deeper than uh this is just my actual deeply masculine cool speaking voice when it's uh, given when it's given full fidelity you know what i mean Gusting. like all all the details of the resonant chamber that is my throat and head <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, <laughs> Matt's actually welcome doing to Spinecrackers. Thanks for talking over the intro. <laughs> Jump! Well, welcome to Spinecrackers. <laughs> you motherfucker! Sorry, last time. Not in our own house. Welcome, welcome to, uh, to Spinecrackers. And today, the episode is about. The Divinity Student, a book by Michael Sisko. And we are staying on the theme of weird fiction, I suppose, in some form or another. Ooh. I would say a little less a little less overtly in the spooky realm. True. And more in the emphasis on weird, I guess, in weird fiction for this one. Yeah. Uh welcome. Yeah. Uh so I think this How is. How you boys doing? I'm doing good. I uh, just just loving the the weather, loving the spooky season, loving the spooky God, yeah. the spooky books. It snowed here this week in Iowa, right? And I'm uh, I'm pretty hyped about that. I'm doing. Yeah, you sent us that not entirely clear photo of of st the Starbucks <laughs> awning and you're like <laughs> in contrast to the awning you can see a flake i think it's hard it was it, it was it was hard to capture on camera but it was there it was happening it wasn't sticking but it was happening yeah oh. i uh went out to dinner with my sister and her friends and my dad because it's her birthday she's 28 wow, wow. happy birthday paul's sister i had yeah. an ale of vodka and i had Three glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Italian ass dinner. Yeah, we went to the ripe tomato. <laughs> <laughs> no free advertising on this podcast, Paul. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's me, Paul. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about the divinity of food. <laughs> Is, isn't isn't like Pauly like one of the most universally like dumb fuck names in Italian families? Well, like, isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't it an insult to be a Pauly? No, I think Polly's one of the coolest ones on Jersey. Show. No, Fredo. Fredo. Well, yeah, the, Fredo, the, obviously, but I, I guess I felt like Polly quote unquote. Polly was also an insult for some reason. Are you thinking of Greedo? <laughs> what is listen, that listen, listen, Grado. We could we could do an entire episode on Greedo's backstory from uh, <laughs> Tales Tales from the Most Isley Cantina. <laughs> it's actually quite sad. Greedo, yeah. Greedo is a very sympathetic character in that story. That'll be uh, um, what is it? Podcast? Oh, not podcast. I can't think of the word. You can do it. <laughs> you got this. Uh, I can't think of that. Sorry. We'll do it. Come we'll on, do that Paul. for episode sixty-nine. Paul, clutch it. Come on. I can't. Um, what is it called when people give us money for the podcast? Patreon, Patreon, <laughs> baby, Patreon. Patreon makes more. Sense. Patreon only talk about Greedo. Hey, we, I'd do a Patreon episode on Greedo. Absolutely. <laughs> cantina yeah yeah is that he a Rodan Rodanian Rod uh, yeah he's a he's a what what is it Rod uh 
I was going to say Rhodesian, but that's an actual thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is deeply offensive. <laughs> is it just, is it offensive just to say Rhodesian? Like there's, well, there's, Greedo. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a breed of dogs that are Rhodesian Ridgebacks. He's a Rhodian. He's right. a Rhodian. Rhodian, thank you. He's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> For some people, I'm sure that's true. Ooh. Greedo? Yeah. 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 Put my in your tube <laughs> nose. <laughs> put my in your tube hose. Also, his ears were Shrek ears before Shrek. I don't know. I don't know who Greedo does not have a tube nose. It's it's like I mean it's sort of a. Tube. It's a fuck. It's a tube. I guess it's not as much of a tube as like Sai Snoodles or like that other weird elephantine looking guy. But it's a yeah. tube. It's I guess it's a tube. Yeah. And just think of the cap. Uh, just think of the uh, uh, peristalsis. You know the kind of the sort of uh, clenching action that could go yeah. on in a thing like that. Yeah. Yes, I mean, this ain't my first Rodian. (laughs) (laughs) I do think Paul's right. I think it's his mouth. I think he has actually has other slits for his nose. Yeah, if I'm remembering, (laughs) if I'm remembering correctly. So, anyway, long story short, Matt's a poser, complete fraud, Star Wars. Oh, uh... fuck off. (laughs) Star Wars is for babies. I don't even fucking care. Uh, anything? Anything else? You guys want to jump into this? <laughs> Not really. You don't want to jump in. You don't want to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I want to back out, dude. I'm actually getting scared. <laughs> the combo here and the chemistry is too potent. I'm actually getting afraid. <laughs> no, I, 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 I actually so, think this is a super cool. Um, move from our prior book, yeah. Uh, you know, the great god pan and other horror stories because this is like probably what three generations out from that epicenter of, of at least, yeah, you know, the genre, a genre of sorts being, I, I don't know, I guess debuting in a way or like forming coming into existence, yep. Because this is now we now we got the pro, we got like the uh, the protege of like Legati. Right, you know, who was like a generation removed from like the generation after Lovecraft or something like that. So, yeah, we're we're going we're going we're we're seeing how the reverberations have played out into like contemporary literature, I suppose, because Cisco is still writing. Yeah, he's alive. Yeah, he's a, he's alive. He's publishing. Re, uh, has some recent stuff. I mean, this is, I believe, his first published work. Um, I, I think it's. It's it's on the short end to call it a novel. It's it's a it's a long novella. I think it's you know it's like 120 pages. What is I, a novella? I, I, I don't we... know. I, I never know the exact definition. I'm sure there are exact definitions for this kind of thing, Let's but never it, look it up. Let's never actually know what it means. I don't want to know. I'm I'm yeah, happy yeah. in my ignorance about this issue. But it's a short novel, long novella, whatever. And um, but I think this is his first published work. I think it was came out in the late 90s. Um first published and uh i I got the i got the plot summary on this one if you guys if you guys are okay with that shoot yeah so it's it's about a boy wizard who goes to a magical school and (laughs) (laughs) and then (laughs) and then and then he and then he has to track down 12 horcruxes 
And <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, very accurate. It's so, it's a little bit true. Yeah. yeah. Listen, uh, guys, we're we're gonna do what you all want us to do, which is relate this constantly. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the ur text that is harry potter but uh does anyone else want to take a shot at it that's the best i got in terms of a plot summary i would have a hard time i don't know i actually think this is easier than mo than the than the um mocking stuff to summarize i mean basically it's about a uh unnamed you know protagonist who's go who's referred to as the divinity student who is a divinity student and um he is in the opening scene of the book he's struck by lightning and then um undergoes a sort of some sort of religious ritual um by which he is uh, uh disemboweled and then stuffed with sheets of of ripped out book pages yeah. uh, and then sewn back together and reanimated as a sort of sort of like golem like frankenstein monster um but but he's still he's not like a conscious conscious like uh monster he's himself still he's functional he can eat still and taste food and yeah and yeah and it, it it wasn't initially clear to me, although I think it became clear over the course of the book that this ritual was performed by people associated with the school or by some other group. Um, yeah. Oh, I thought that it was definitely the school that did it, but that was just the idea I had in my head. I, I, that's that's ultimately the position that I think that I came to, but that was not. It wasn't clear to me for a while, because yeah. He he, he's clearly somebody they're they're hoping the seminary, just sort of that's what it's called, uh, and there are various works. agents throughout the, Hogwarts. yeah, the Muggle world of San Beneficio, <laughs> uh, where this the divinity student goes to carry out some sort of unnamed mission that they are going to kind of, not even directly tell him about, but manipulate him into uh, doing of his quote-unquote own accord by slowly feeding him bits of information and little uh, prods and evidences. It, it, I was confused about the extent to his powers or ability to, uh, you know, like, especially initially, he, he's got, he seems like he's got all these, like, yeah, like you said, wizard powers. Uh when when there's a, a too big a question mark on things well yeah and then there's the chapter like well i think it's like halfway through where he just suddenly jumps 20 feet high and like runs across <laughs> well like, so yeah what? so he so, so he has <laughs> so he has initially it's unclear what sort of powers it's he has some initial magical items so so he's he's sent on this mission as matt said by the seminary to the city to obtain work as what is referred to as a word finder Right. And then he will receive further instructions once that has been accomplished. So he goes to the city, which is this sort of arid, desert-based, like desert city, um, and uh, obtains work as a word finder, which, and, and one of the things that's interesting, incidentally, about the book is that it's unclear exactly if this is supposed to be a post-apocalyptic post situation, if this is supposed to be some other 
I, it, 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 I believe it's meant to take place on Earth in some era. I have to assume in the future because there are things like yeah. you know people are mentioned speaking Spanish. People, like there are things that are that are referred to that are clearly you know of this terrestrial <laughs> plane. That but not just Spanish either. It's like the city is supposed to be this. I think. I, I, it's it's just got it's got enough like they're talking about Chinese and yes. French I believe and maybe some Italian or whatever it's it's he makes a point of of assuring you that you're never because initially I was like okay this is like some kind of border town or we're near the Mexican border maybe or I, I thought all these things I thought about you know the the southwest of of the United States a lot of the time or yeah. Spain itself yeah. I mean, one thing that made me think of the great God Pan and those other uh, writers that we were talking about last week, I, I did feel, even though this this book was like written relatively recently, it did feel as though it could have been written back then. Because even though I I got the sense that it was post apocalyptic, I do there there was like a lack of technology, I would say, in the in the in the story that didn't really date it to any certain decade. My my secret, not secret at all. I'm just going to deliver my my other take, which is that potentially, to my mind, it could be about a drug addict, um, who is just having a feverish, insane episode in an actual American city like San Francisco or something. Okay, well, we should get into that. Uh maybe put that on the back burner for a minute we'll put a pin and in then it. we'll we'll finish the 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 the, the, the description of events briefly <laughs> okay. um so so he gets to the to the city and he affi- finds a job as a word finder which is someone who is supposed to search either through ancient texts or just by listening to people on the street and and discover words that have not yet been recorded in the dictionary and like the uh, hardest ever right (laughs) and that was so so that was part of the what make made me think post-apocalyptic that that there had been some sort of cataclysm where things had been lost and there was this project of recovering them in that included language um so then he gets this job and he then sort of over some interactions with people from the job and with some magical creatures in trees, uh, some more of his his mission becomes revealed to him. He learns this uh, technique from a wizard named Magellan uh, of essentially being able to access the experiences of other creatures by yes. um, part like interacting with their pickling solutions, essentially with formaldehyde. Yeah. So, so you know, the the first example that we see of this is Magellan takes a. Someone asks him what it, to show me what it's like to be a cat, and he takes a dead Sick request cat, sort of pickled in formaldehyde, and does a ritual with the formaldehyde liquid that sends this person into a brief trance, uh, and then they come back having some experience of 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 having been living as a cat. Right. And so the divinity. Magellan- oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, this is like too far in, but just Magellan ends up being, I guess, somebody who was 
was tasked with something similar to the divinity student at one point who somehow refused at some point to do it and wasn't got he didn't get got for not uh following through he just gets to have like his practice and be just like kind of a again a weird uh a weird guy who has this almost drug-like again service where he just allows people to reap the benefits of his ability to just make them be things various things that they aren't right he's a very he's a very sort of cheshire cat-esque character uh it i thought (laughs) um so anyway i was gonna say i could read i I highlighted when he first saw magellan and i think magellan's fucking awesome well so we'll we'll come back to magellan i just want to make sure that i just want to get the plot on the table just uh, and then we can get back into specifics so so essentially the, the the divinity student learns this learns this technique from magellan uh through another sort of ritual we can that we can talk about and then um he's contacted by the people from the seminary who essentially say what we want you to do is find the corpses of these 12 old word finders who had compiled a special book about a lost lost language the lost words that has been sort of destroyed and and lost to time and we want you to dig up their corpses and perform this um, ritual on those corpses to try to discover what they knew about the lost words. And he does that and uh, uh, gains some allies along the way and then eventually sort of ends up pickling himself with formaldehyde and going insane. And that's roughly the story. Yeah. And there's a lot of sensuous detail. Yes, of course. I, that was that's very very abridged. No, but I, I would say that's almost the uh, one of the main aspects of this as a piece of prose and stuff like that. I, I definitely one of the things that one of the only things that really bugged me about the book itself was like, which might have not even been a, a bug so much as a feature. You know what I mean? Uh, was the was the overwriting at times the like highly highly descriptive adjective after adjective after metaphor after you know you know what i mean analogy kind of piled on top and i i think that was intentional but it's still uh I, who, you know who's to say i don't know it would make me exhausted occasionally uh just how much he would describe like shit as different things Right. I really like that was my favorite part of of the whole book actually. Like I I love the over description. I thought that the plot was kind of uh, just a something that was in place so that he could write in this overly descriptive way. Um I actually uh, read an interview with uh Cisco and he said um that he felt like writing and reading in particular is like it sends you into some sort of hypnotic state and that he, he tried to like basically do that to us to the next level while he was writing this book. Like he really wanted to am- amplify that idea that reading can be hypnotic. And I totally, I mean, I was like, the writing for me was just like, like in the very beginning when he's freaking <laughs> soft with paper, I was hooked and it's like, it's hypnotic, but it's also very, 
it's very intense to read it too. Mm-hmm. I, I think a couple of things about that. I agree. Overall, I thought this book, as far as like inducing, I guess, that experience was really successful. And there were there were certain points where I was I've never felt more viscerally uh grossed out most of the time mm-hmm. by a lot of the there's a lot of he's describing imagery like with rats that gross me out like he just has well, people like scattering out of the crowd like they're rats scattering or like noises that like rats would make crawling over a body and stuff like that i i would say the overriding definitely smacks a bit of 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 maybe somebody's first major writing attempt because I, I don't know how young or old he was at this point not sure uh and he had some pretty i think i read that he was trying to create uh something that was genre less yeah he um, calls it i mean he refers to his own work as i believe the term he uses is degenerated fiction yeah I, I i don't know i don't know exactly what he means there yeah i mean would you, would you call this degenerated i don't think you should like classify your own work in a genre maybe maybe you shouldn't do that i don't know like let the work speak for itself a little bit but i don't know maybe you can just seems a little weird to be like no i'm writing in the d genre of uh vein (laughs) it's actually d genre and uh yeah i i don't know it's somebody clearly reacting to a bit his like influence his anxiety of influence or something i yeah but um so sometimes it just fell flat the the like over description the like constantly hammering home the variety of ways you can experience like a particular thing did you do you have a passage or two matt that is like exemplary for you of that tendency uh, let me, give me a second. I didn't yeah. really highlight things that bothered me so much as what I liked. Uh, yeah, um, that's, that's fine. Uh, Paul, did you want to go back to your, your, uh, passage about, about Magellan, who's the sort of, yeah, like he I, seems I to have a pretty Magellan. high social status in the city, uh, as this sort of high priest slash, uh, mystical figure. Yeah, almost like a Dumbledore type figure. Yes, yes, almost. <laughs> yes, sort of in a way. Yeah. And then it's 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 implied the reason the divinity student has to learn the skill from him is that the the seminary has has approached him about doing this sort of work with human bodies before, and he's declined to to help them out with it. Well, it's also like he has to go through a series of like steps in order to get Magellan's attention. Like he has to go on top of this this street on this hill and play this instrument and Magellan will like reach out to him. It's very unclear exactly like how, just, I don't know, the, the, the planning of the other, like the sub characters, I I was kind of confused, like why the Definity student was the one that they chose to do this task, but I don't know. It was confusing to read, but also hypnotic and enjoyable. But anyway, let me, let me read this passage real quick. <clears throat> the divinity students then sees Magellan. He sits almost invisible in a haze of window refracted light. Fragrant smoke curls about his head, wafting up from the, from the two braziers burning on his desk. 
He's of no certain age in his, in his shirt sleeves and suspenders and his face is painted white, white with black marks around his eyes and his upper lip is also black. His eyelids have been painted with two green irises and black pupils, making it impossible to tell whether his eyes are open or closed. I thought that was so fucking creepy and awesome. It's like this new character comes in and it's just like, who the hell is this guy? And he like, he then goes on to perform this formaldehyde ritual. I just thought it was freaking so cool and creepy and awesome. I don't know. I really love that whole chapter. It's like a Jodorowsky movie written out or something. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just like heavy symbolism, very visual for a text. Yes. I, I, I don't have any good examples of, of what I didn't like, and I will keep looking. But there were the moments when it really hit hard were icky for me the most. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe my least favorite, a.k.a. my favorite moment, is one that I'm still, again, I, I think a lot of the stuff like Machin is in very intentionally obscured and not delved into any further than just being mentioned and just to get you uh, off kilter and I think kind of disoriented, which I think the overdescription is also intending to have that same effect on you. But like, do you guys, did you guys feel any sort of emphasis to how gross it was when he was like changing into that weird flying creature? The when when he when he is this is this when he first interacts with Magellan and he takes the condor formaldehyde. I but is that what happens because he becomes he goes into heaven and sees Mister Woodwind or whatever. Okay, so that's a different. Okay, so that those are two different episodes. Then yeah yeah yeah. I, I didn't remember can what I, you're talking about. Can yeah. I read this portion because this Please. is like very Cronenberg. I, I I remember being genuinely grossed out. He says. Uh, do you have um? Is it? Do you have a page number for for us uh, folks yeah. reading along? It starts on uh, page twenty. This is the PDF that yep. we got. Uh, so yeah, page twenty. It's chapter four, the dream. The paperback is out um, of print, folks. It's like eighty dollars. Yeah. Yeah, we're just not. We're not. We don't have that kind of coin. Not yet until uh, we get our Patreon set up. His his shit starts oozing. Like he starts having like oleaginous sort of, uh, just sort of. It's like pigment grit and oil and he starts like feeling it seep out of his body yes. kind of like that Junji Ito short story and then there's just this part where it just goes he just thinks he's like greasy and disgusting but then it says the wind is playing over his back delineating his form in the air and there's something changed back there he reaches his arm around and runs the palm down his wet skin and feels deep fissures and ridges he peers over his shoulder and sees his ghostly reflection in the window Three huge dorsal vents slant down on each side of his spine, yawning open and upwards like gill slits. White skin stretched tight over powerful curves. <laughs> uh, funnels of skin and muscle held out by fans of cartilage. Gross. It's very, it's, it, it, it's, it's very the fly fan fiction. <laughs> and like, is he being like a, a, some sort of fucked up version of an angel at that point? Cause like, the oil seems to power these vents that like breathe in air and then propel him up into the clouds. And then he sees Mr. Woodwind. <laughs> who, who, by the way, Mr. Woodwind is the person who owns the shop that he works for doing word finding. Right. Whose place of business he finds by using a uh, hypnotist kind of pendulum 
and then somehow making it find spine of mystic energy that it, it, it is pulled towards and that's how he shit like this happens constantly where yep. he he is a, the divinity student in the sense of like something divine but also maybe something the ability to divine things from other things yep or like that the, the art of divining i think is more what's meant i don't know no i think I that's a, i think that's i think you're right and I, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there are so many sort of small, uh, I, I don't want to call them insignificant details, but there are so many aspects of the story that we haven't touched on yet that are, that are deeply strange and deeply creepy and bizarre. So there's this whole sort of subplot, I guess you might call it, where the, the cars in this city are sort of hunting the divinity students uh, systematically. Yeah. Because they're driven, they're driven by demons. He's told at one point, um, and he, he's sort of perpetually being chased by, by just cars, and they 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 drive by his house at night and like try to slam into his fence, and it, yeah. it, it's the cars almost have this this autonomous sort of sentience. Yeah, I found that really interesting. Like the first mention of cars. I almost didn't even think of them as being vehicles. Like I thought he was mentioned, like he was talking about them in a way that they were more like beings. I was like, is, does the word cars mean something different in this story? But then <laughs> like after a while, I'm like, okay, they are cars sometimes at least, but yeah, that was really fucking interesting and weird. Just like, <laughs> and that's what also like Matt, your, your, your point about like how it could be some sort of drug induced, uh, whirlwind that the character was going on like that kind of makes sense to me if he's just like kind of paranoid about cars being demons and being he's like being chased and always like hearing traffic and how uh traffic just sounds horrifying to him like i am i wrong like uh i read the i, I could have been led by the nose a bit uh in the foreword which ann vandermeer wrote who is an author in her own right but also the the husband of or the husband the wife of jeff vandermeer another very famous contemporary like sort of sci-fi weird fiction author yep. um but she said something about him being a fan of the beats and and specifically burrows and naked lunch and i i don't think i'm just pulling that out of my ass but that's that's what made me think of the drug addict thing mm. like this account of like you know the interzone and and all this like fucked up imagery uh in this world that is the you know true chaotic completely phantasmagoric demonic world overlaid and invisible to people in the real world or something like that when i first got to like chapter four or so when he was first getting his job as a word finder up until that point, I thought it was a metaphor for like uh, a post-grad literature student, <laughs> like, <laughs> like someone who's disemboweled by their professors and stuffed with papers <laughs> and then they get forced to, to have some like weird office job that is just boring and very difficult. <laughs> but then after a while, I was like, definitely not that. But I, conf I confess that I did not. I, I I did not 
make the 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 potential connection to Burroughs and the sort of like fever the drug fever dream at all until you just said it now Matt so that I think that's an interesting uh avenue for interpretation I, I'm not sure what to make of it because you know one sort of one sort of thing that 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 may for me at least cuts against that a little bit is that there are third parties to this whole affair that uh, that we do sort of see through their perspectives briefly um so so for example uh mrs miss woodwind who's mr woodwind's daughter and um the butcher who's i, I forget his name off the top of my head um Hey-o. Teo or no Desden one of there's Teo. I think Desden. his first name is Teo and his last name is I think his name is Teo Desden. Okay, if I'm remembering correctly, that solves everything. Yeah, and so the, so the butcher is uh, the, the the divinity student winds up staying with him for a while and begins performing his rituals on the the dead bodies, uh, the the dead word finders with Teo as his sort of accomplice. And they do the work in the back of the butcher shop until the shop is um, attacked by cars. Um. Well, but but prior to that, right? Like initially, he is he's taking a less proactive approach to his role in all of this because at first he's like this this sort of unsure, maybe powerful. Clearly, makes the seminary people nervous and has some sort of aura about him but he he he's in the dark and it's Olimer who's like the middle the middleman initially right and like give gives him these scraps of words uh and Olimer's the one that I think nudges him to go see Magellan yeah. and then things kind of kick off after he sees Magellan yeah and then it gets into what you're talking about. Well, I think he actually like, might might follow Olimer to like to like those magical trees, and then there's like that. What are the oros? What the oros? So so in in the in the context of the story, the he meets this. They're called they're, he calls them oros, and they're tree spirits. Uh, but I guess I guess they can also be. He sees some of them later at, in their sort of larval stage in a fountain swimming into a, a tree's root um i love that yeah me too i thought that was a great scene if we if we if someone could find it maybe we can read it but uh <laughs> they he meets this this tree spirit who gives him um i think the tree spirit is the one who tells him to go see magellan or is the tree spirit the one that tells him oh the, no, no no the tree spirit gives him the box to play for magellan to let him right. enter the the to learn the ritual it's it yeah it's it's i think it's still pretty unclear what an oro is aside from some intermediary to the intermediary right or some kind of like nudging instigating kind of spirit can i please send you something i found looking up oros in the chat oh god <laughs> no it's just it's just weird yeah send it what it's, it's a, food, a it's, it's a food product it's a, it's a drink Ooh. Man, oh man, and hey, frankly, that 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 mascot kind of looks like what I was imagining the Oros look like. Yeah, that's kinda... it's it's definitely disturbing. So if we for had, the listener, if... it's a it's a baby made out of orange juice, if... and he's orange. 
I mean, <laughs> if we were if we were worth our salt at all, we would have done this ahead of time and ordered some of this shit to be drinking right now. Doug, how do you even <laughs> how do you even set something like this up? I should have looked up if Oros were a thing. Once again, this is a this is yet another entity invented by Cisco in this book specifically, just so that there's no ability to even have a, a, some sort of mythical connotation to anything it's right. just it's its own thing it's deeply disorienting you don't know if it's even real no one else confirms that these things exist or and one i think wormwoods or, or fucking not wormwood woodwind's daughter or somebody is like what the fuck is that the trees were talking to you so it's something only the divinity student is seems to be able to see even at the outset before he goes totally ham and but definitely after he feels like he's got dorsal vents on his back. Well, uh, well, I think, well, first of all, okay. So I, I, I will say I was thinking, I first read it and I was mistakenly crossing my wires and I was like, oh yeah, like Ori in the blind forest. Cause or it's a forest spirit and these are like tree spirits. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, totally. It's the same, must be the same thing. Yeah, uh, it's a cute little like cat rabbit thing. Yeah, except in the book, there are these creepy like, white mouth with like 20 limbs that just like hide in trees and like reach down and anyway it's like the spirited way demon i saw in my head yes that eats everything i actually yeah. was seeing i was actually seeing more of like the trees in uh the wizard of oz that are alive the ones that just are throwing <laughs> apples yeah i was actually picturing that just nighttime because there's a part where like the like the oro basically like melts into the tree when it's gone right it just disappears kind of into the I was that's Cheshire Cat. That's Cheshire Cat. But I also had this like extremely long limb, like Slender Man. So I was picturing like <laughs> Cheshire Cat, Slender Man, Wizard of Oz. How many of. things can we find that are like other things? <laughs> we're listen. We're just doing Michael Cisco's own genre, post genre move. This podcast doing, is right? degenerated. It, this podcast is degenerated. I, I will say, genre. okay. So 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 on a, on a so so Matt, to your point. It's not true, at least from the perspective of the divinity student, that he's the only one that interacts with the Oro. He follows uh, whatever the oh, oh what's his what's the guy's name? Olimer. Olimer, thank you. He follows Olimer and sees Olimer receive papers from an Oro. Yeah. Uh, one night when he's tracking him oh. through the streets, remember? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, I guess yeah. So Olimer, poor dude. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I it is. It's not clear how Olimer got pulled into any of this. Well, it's not clear what kind of uh, what kind of sway, or it's it's the seminary. So Oliver, just just for clarity, uh, right? I was just gonna say for clarity, Olimer is a coworker of the divinity student at the word finding uh, shop, the word finding business. Yeah. And, and he was he kind of gets in awe of the divinity student because he's he's like asking him like who are you and he's like i'm a divinity student and right away Oliver is oh, just me? Like, he's like oh my god like you're just <laughs> special and that was the first time i was like oh there's something about being a divinity student that like gives you some gusto in this culture he's got clout um, in san beneficio yes yeah Definitely, even though that's still kind of unclear why. I guess it's just because you go and you study at the Orpheum or whatever, and that makes you like a smart, successful person. 
Is well, that the, what it's called? The, the, seminary, the, the seminary, and then the Orpheum is where Magellan, uh, Magellan yeah. lives and sort of practices. But the seminary is, is like the Ravenclaw headquarters. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, I went all over the fucking place with this book, man. Because yeah, it's, and it's very it's, well. I, I think it invites that sort of reading. Yeah, in in that sense, I I really did have a, I had a good time because the sort of imagery dense way everything goes sends your definitely sends your mind in multiple directions, like tangential to the text itself in a lot of ways and and that in general just is a fun aspect of reading not even this book in particular but just the the way you can sort of orthogonally launch into something else while reading this and your sense of time gets all fucked up like that's that's definitely one of the pleasures of reading in general i would say well and it's one of those things yeah yeah i agree and it's one of those things where there are so many and I would argue that this, I mean, I, I would argue that this much for me, I don't know, much more than the great God Pan um, and, and the white people, either of those stories, this book made me think of, of, of Oomsville, Ernst Younger's story that we have not discussed <laughs> on the podcast, but have read together previously. Yeah, um, probably the worst of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is Paul is not a fan. Uh, it was polarizing. It was polarizing. It was polarizing. Yeah. <laughs> Only. <laughs> I'm glad you but, said that though. I was. But I, I will say, to bring up yeah this this book made me think of that story much more than anything else we've read. Not only because of the setting, which is similar, which is a sort of you know desert like um, you know desert city that's walled and has sort of semi-modern, but also seemingly um, sort of reverted technological developments and, and, and so on. Um, but because of the sort of position of the protagonist in the story in some ways, uh, as a sort of agent of the ruling powers and someone who is sort of working their way through this new environment or this this the the city right and so yeah it made me think a lot about that book more than anything else we've read so far and i think and i think in terms of the perspective of of the sort of building of the world as well the world building in this book reminded me of oomsville a ton as well because it's it's dropped in very very subtle not not always subtle but sort of small right. like you said tangential sort of refractive ways that are not always like here is what this world is like it's like no it, here's a here's like a weird aside thought that like opens up a, a, a lot of possibilities like i mean all the stuff about the trains that run through private homes and businesses and stuff <laughs> yeah. like it it made me think of the harry potter night bus really more than <laughs> 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 I just Michael Cisco is like shivering in he's his so home mad. right now. He's so mad. He's so pissed. Like one, he doesn't one know why. I hope he never hears this. Bunch of fucking <laughs> absolute fucking rubes. Also, Michael, come on, come on to the pod. If hey, you, hey, if you do hear about this? Come on, standing Michael. invitation. Right. Well, I, I would also say that the uh, except you're not allowed to talk, but we get to record your face while we compare your books to Harry Potter. 
<laughs> it's a reaction video, honestly. <laughs> the characterization was always was also very uh, Yumswell esque too, like minimal, very minimal and sparse. And it, it took it took like chapters to get descriptions of the character in Yumswell. I don't remember his name because the book was awful. <laughs> uh, <I don't. laughs> You're so wrong. <laughs> but I think like it wasn't until like chapter I don't know six or something that you get some description of the new student that he had like green eyes and how he was dressed and stuff i think it was when he was like looking at a cat and, the, and he was like talking to a cat and he was like you have green eyes like i have green eyes too uh i found that character like that lack of characterization like immediate characterization to be very much in the way that you was um what i thought this book did better than you well is have a plot <laughs> uh both soft sci-fi for sure uh post-apocalyptic soft sci-fi but i think one one of my biggest qualms with umesville let's not let's not make this an uh an umesville part three no i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna get back (laughs) quickly to the to uh what is the divinity student but i i just thought the narration was better in the divinity student because like it wasn't from the perspective of the main character was an outside near i don't know the term what what is it third third person third third person narration but it's also all told it's also all done in the present tense too yeah it's like third person limited i think is the the technical term and it also would would, (laughs) would like three pages of intense intense like beautiful descriptions and then it would suddenly be like two characters talking for a couple pages. It was a good, I thought it was a good balance that kept me, I just kept, I wasn't, it was like captivating for me. I don't know. I really, I, I really like this book. I like, I like the flow of it. I loved, I loved it way more than the Well, and I, <laughs> I just want to point out a few more things about the world building that I really enjoyed in terms of those small, and, 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 and maybe we should come back at some point, like soon here, Matt, to your thesis that this is all a, a, a drug-induced sort of modern-day thing that's actually sort of not happening in this alternate world. Um, right. But but I mean, it, just just little things like there are references to um, things like familiars, right? Which is a common fantasy term, a common trope, which is a sort of an animal that is bound to a human and. They work yeah. together and whatever, whatever, but it's never specified in this text if that's what he's talking about. Sometimes it seems like it's another human that is just sort of like a servant, um, but it's left pretty ambiguous. And there, there's a similar usage of the term imp in the story <laughs> where you're like, is it actual imps or is it just sort of like lackey servants? And I thought that sort of ambiguity uh is is exactly what gives rise to the possibility of the sort of interpretation that you're talking about matt where is it like is it is it literally like imps as in a different like you know race of creatures a different species of creatures yeah or is it just the way this drug addled brain is talking about the people that he's seeing you know and there's also the possibility uh that cisco again inviting the author in a ton which i know i don't know i don't know what our stances are on this kind of thing but like 
maybe all of the above is part of this uh, intention of his as a writer is he's trying to create multiple realities at once that are all equally valid by deliberate and and very like precise use of of vague language uh, and allowing space between concepts and even plot to make room for all of this stuff. Because another weird thing, just based on, just from his, I don't know what this means, and I don't know who, anything about this fucking dude, but he's described as an author and a Deleuzian scholar. I saw that. And Gabe, if anyone's going to shed a light on even a little bit about what that, I know about rhizomes, and that's about it. Uh, what that might mean in terms of a person's influence on a person's narrative or, or writing, like I, I, it's you. I don't know. Or, well, Paul, I don't know. You do. You, do you? Did you? <laughs> yeah, Gil's. No, I, no, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, I, I think pretty clearly the divinity student is a body without organs. <laughs> <laughs> dude <laughs> solid fucking joke but i think is that even a joke though i guess well i don't yeah i mean it's i a think fucking delusion right. yeah, yeah i mean i i don't know what cisco's background with deleuze and guattari is if any like formally or if he's you know because i mean this is something that a lot of this D, D and g are sort of people that are <laughs> appealed to variously in this uh, sort of like weird fiction. I mean, like, you know, Reza Nagarastani, like Nick Land yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. like vibe. I don't know if Cisco considers himself to be in that lane. Um, and I couldn't, I, I don't know where that sort of connection comes in for him in terms of his actual background. Um, but I think it's interesting. Uh, and I think the sort of, you know, I think that, that that would be a sort of level of analysis um, that is for patrons only later. Okay. <laughs> I, dude, fucking just tease it early. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I do think it's interesting that, that the divinity student is at, from the beginning, a literal body without organs. Yeah. And, and he's going yeah. around. He's literally, you know, has his organs taken out or replaced with book paper um and i think in, in terms theory. of this sort of yeah and i do think in tor in terms of this sort of like um rhizomatic like generative uh uh style that cisco writes in which is very kind of like um what's the term i'm looking for almost like fractal like it starts and then it goes out into a thousand different directions simultaneously in a single paragraph um and maybe that's maybe that is some people would call that overwriting or over describing uh, i think that's a that's a debatable fair but fair but debatable point yeah um i could see where some of the dng stuff comes in um yeah i've just i've seen I've seen Deleuze appealed to a ton. I'm getting uh, sick of it, frankly. Without uh, without my own personal knowledge, which again, it's it's always unclear to me whether or not I need to. I, I should probably read something of of his or or whatnot, but yeah, certainly the way he, he's kind of a meme a bit, at least in like 
I don't know, academic discourse or something like the same way Ligotti. It wasn't Ligotti memed a bit for a while. Well, yeah. I mean, the the difference is there. I mean, obviously the difference there is that Ligotti is not like a academic and he's like a philosopher in in a like actual serious way. But and I mean, and uh, just disclaimer, I'm by no means like a Deleuze scholar. I've read some some Deleuze stuff. I've probably, if I'm being frank, I've probably read more like Guattari stuff because I my background is more in psychoanalysis than it is in, <clears throat> you know, like Deleuzean work. Well, just but for for the listener's own benefit here. Just so you understand the dynamic at play, Paul and I, we're just chill, normal guys. Sometimes we read books and we like it. And Gabe's an academic and he has a lot of the answers. And just to be clear, <laughs> just to be clear about that, even in particular, Matt has read 2,000 more books than me. So I'm not, I'm not exactly the third wheel. I'm a part of this, but like, you know, I'm at the bottom. Let's just, let's just be frank. I've read like this podcast. No, this podcast is a formally and officially anti-hierarchical. Yeah, <laughs> we're whatever the reading we're reading positive in the same ter- terms as sex positive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we started this podcast because of COVID nineteen, and we're a bunch of bros just reading books together. It's a good positive thing to bring out into the world. That's right. You're gonna you're gonna be eating your words when the uh, audience demands that I be kicked off. Really, I won't keep listening. well i mean i literally i just assumed you might know a thing or two about deleuze as just another angle on this that's all i just said everything i know about deleuze basically cool i don't yeah i don't be deluded it's it's close to a pun (laughs) i I, (laughs) that's almost worked yeah i don't know it the thing is with things like this, my my, there is a sensation. I get this in other, I get this in movies as well, or like I guess narrative art forms in general, uh, where even if I enjoy an experience, like I did with this, sometimes this sort of cheeky evasion of being pinned down or uh, a very overt desire to, I mean, I think, you know, to do this sort of phantasmagorical genre, ascent transcending, whatever, uh, ends up feeling a little bit, just a little bit more like style over or substance or something, or like maybe somebody is, is, is avoiding making a point or a statement or, you know, just something like that, something very basic. I mean, I can understand that argument. I I think it. I hate to use the word jive because I used it a thousand times when I talked about Hume's will. But no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You've actually (laughs) you've actually never used that word before. You the word you've used is vibe, and I suggest you stick to that one. Frankly, better than jive. Yes. Yes. Well, I I don't know. I just think that like this could like it could be hit or miss for you. I suppose. Right. Uh, for me, I, th- I just thought that like, I, I never found the descriptions overbearing to me. Right. I thought, I wonder, I mean, I guess I wonder, I mean this, and, and this is the, this is the sort of eternal question, right? Like Ooh. to, to, 
to what degree, because I wonder, Matt, if, I, 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 I guess I'm sort of not to come back to this again, but I am in a way team Paul in the sense that I find it difficult to believe that you just like viscerally enjoyed reading Humesville more than this. Like that seems borderline impossible to me in terms of like, 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 like this to me was clearly, it flowed better. It was more interesting plot wise. Um, there was a plot. So, so like as a literary work, I find it, I guess I'm just wondering where, where if you're if you're being honest with yourself, where your motivations are when it comes to analyzing things like this. Because I think you're probably right in the sense that like, is this in a sense overdone or overwrought in some ways? Yeah, probably. Um, and and you know, is but is it less enjoyable than than that? I just don't think it is. I think it's more enjoyable. Right. I, I guess there's, there's a, there's a number of things there, but about what you just said, like, uh, in, in, in the sense of world building and I still think this is better overall, or like, I I don't know what you mean. Like world, this is a better world building has better world. building. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I guess when I was asking the question about having, you know, having having been razzle dazzled, uh, a bit, I think one of the, it's not a better or worse, but like, Yunsville was clearly creating a world to serve, I think, a very like obvious purpose, of, of of creating an example, like a theoretical, like literalizing a theoretical example, that sort of uh, is consonant with. Younger's ideas and that's like the function it serves or whatever you know what i mean so there's a there's a there's a grounding to things that can be lame or interesting depending on how you regard it uh and that's what kind of grounded it for me whereas with this i'm just i'm just not i i like the world building and i like the you know the the palpability of 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 location and all these bizarre things occurring but it just didn't have that grounding current of a, a motivation or anything like that. And I don't even, I'm not even convinced that that's necessary. It's just different. And it left me in particular feeling a bit like maybe, maybe this was a lot of impressive in impressionistic fluff or something. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's the best thing for us to keep talking about Unsville when we don't have a podcast about it. But I I, 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 do, I do think that Unsville had a lot it's of alluring. fluff. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Unsville had a lot of fluff in its own right, though, but in a, in a much different way. There was I mean, a lot of like I, it, 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 that, like felt fluffy to me. It um, could be apples and oranges. I, I almost I was also. gonna say I was I was gonna say I almost regret bringing it up because. And I don't know if you're gonna like hearing this, Matt. I don't consider that work a work of literature. It's a philosophical text. Okay. That, that that's a work of philosophy. It's not a work of literature. And uh, this is a work of literature. And so I I I think that in some ways it's it is apples to oranges, as you're saying, Matt, because I think that <clears throat> you know part of what's going on 
in 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 this book is it is aesthetic it is aesthetic play yeah and it is sort of being interested in and i and I, I'll, I'll go back to something that you said at the beginning of the discussion which is you know um cisco goes out of his way to talk about the various languages at play and i feel like this is a sort of a a a, a love letter to language in general and maybe it gets a little too sappy in some ways uh but i think it is unabashedly concerned with the sort of viscerality and aesthetics of language both in its execution and its theming and it, and its actual story um right. where i saw i i see Humesville as a sort of just literal like like just a just a way to deliver a philosophical message in a way that Jünger thought some more people would actually buy that's fair yeah okay so i do so i do think it might be apples to oranges i guess i i maybe we can hammer out a, a definition of literature at some point later but uh specifically but i kind of agree with that assessment and so i, I guess i don't yeah go ahead paul sorry i was gonna say that i think that the the divinity student leans more towards like poetic language um which you know i don't really read any poetry but i found it to be like borderline a poetic work of work of art it's really you know i don't know if you have anything to say about that matt because you read more poetry but that's one reason i thought that you would enjoy it more because i found it to be like you know look i'm just i'm just voicing like criticisms i don't want this to be construed as i didn't enjoy it i think that's part of the critique gabe is delivering against me too is the fact that like what's the difference or like what what constitutes a more important experience overall in consuming something like well no i i just think it is interesting to talk about i i think i came into this thinking that you would have enjoyed it more matt I don't even know how much you don't enjoy it, honestly. I think you still probably liked it. I just, I think you're, I think that your nitpicks are probably pretty slight. I think you, am I just, am I just talking for you right now though? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I definitely picked up what Gabe was describing, which is uh, a, a deep appreciation on every level with language and words and, it's not hard. It's not hard to see that as like the one of the biggest themes. A, a, a man is stuffed with pages of books, <laughs> and then he goes and becomes a word finder, where people are like, <laughs> like fetishistically scraping the ink of written words into little canisters and yes. like huffing their fumes and shit. Like everything about this is all surrounded around the words, and then he has to go find the you know the 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 secret catalog of words and all this kind of stuff. Um, I want to come back to that. Mm. I, I do think he, I mean, I do think that the writer was kind of flexing his ability to write a little bit. I think there could be a little bit of that with in the text. Like he, he is really, really good at writing. I would say like he, he can write a fucking great paragraph, great sentence. Um, and I, I, I did kind of get the sense every now and then that he was just like, I'm really good at writing. This is how good I am. Read this. <laughs> I, I, I think you guys are being a little too too flippant. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I go. Yeah, so go ahead. 
like that. I only had that thought a, a little tiny bit. I, I really enjoy his writing a lot. So, but go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say it's, inter it's interesting because we're talking about this sort of obvious theming of um, the love of language and sort of words and word usage and whatever. But but ultimately, what what actually happens in the story is that the main character essentially loses his ability to use words. Like words and language start to break down and utterly fail because, yeah. because of their overuse, because of their, you know, so, so ultimately what he starts doing is channeling the memories of these 12 dead word finders by huffing the vaporized formaldehyde from their brain preservation tanks and so cool which is an amazing like fucking brilliant idea and it's described like beautifully and viscerally like on eventually he's doing bong hits he's yeah he's basically literally doing, doing bong hits he's basically doing brain. formaldehyde brain bong hits <laughs> that's if that phrase doesn't get you juiced up to read this i don't know what else we can say and like towards the end too he's like i think he's like wafting the formaldehyde at I forget what other character, but the other character is just people are gonna contact high. Yeah, yes. he realizes that he loves the smell of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now. But 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 like I I guess the point I'm trying to make is that I, I I also think that Cisco purposely works into the narrative, the, it so it's this it's this revelatory sort of the whole book has the cadence of like a you know, Appalachian revival speaking in tongues like moment, which is both a sort of celebration of language and an understanding of the ways in which language constantly fails our own experiences. And, and I think that part of what he's doing is showing that, that or, talk, or, or thinking through the fact that you can talk and describe and over-describe as much as you want but there's ultimately a gap. There's ultimately a failure to get to the raw nerve of subjective experience via language. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's why it becomes so, that's the, you know, it's a love letter to language, but what, when we, you first said that phrase before elaborating was like, I was like, the tinge was, yeah, but then the end and the, the, the failure of language and right the despair the despair and the chaos underneath all of that stuff i mean you know he's still if legati is so juiced up on the guy he's got to have a, a a kind of there's there, there there's some sort of nihilism under under that probably yeah i mean i think it, it you know i don't I, it's an open question whether i mean i think that this is um and this is somewhere where i think we could even if we wanted to dive back into some of the Deleuze and Guattari stuff where, where, because that oh, yeah. in, in, in the way that, that Guattari at least links back up with psychoanalysis and Lacan, uh, this language stuff is deeply relevant. One of, one of Lacan's sort of founding principles is the, is the inability of language to sort of access raw experience and I, and it, as a matter of fact, that's the sort of hinge point that is the origin of most human neuroses 
is our our entrance in the into the symbolic order into language because it mm-hmm. cuts us off irrevocably from uh, you know any sort of direct or raw experience of the world. And I it, it seems to me that that, that is operative in Cisco's writing, um, both from a formal perspective and from a thematic perspective. I was thinking about what the divinity student is given by Olimer the first time he gives him like one of his little scrap words. Right. Uh, uh, and it, maybe this lines up a bit with what you're saying um, where he doesn't have the full word. It's just a little suffix. And then there's the story. And then it says he, Olimer uh, says, you see, it's a word that can only be defined by a story. The word doesn't represent that sequence of events, but rather, rather it names what that sequence suggests. Yes, and and I don't know that 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 does kind of feel like a bit, maybe what what, what this story was also attempting to do. Yep, or I totally agree. I think those I I think those little fragments are really really important because they're like these little, they're like these little koans about yeah. sort of like what yeah. you know uh, the the meaning of a word is not sort of is not uh, exhausted by what we write as the meaning of it, right? It's what are the experiences that we can tie to this? And and I thought that those I thought that that, that, that those were very effective. Yeah, and it, the the divinity student seems to be eventually. It's just made clear what the seminary even wants from his own mission, which is something super banal and kind of like right religious critique where they, they they just want the secret words so that they can have them and safely interpret them ad infinitum and tell people how they're appropriately to be interpreted and essentially gain control uh which which know, he denied very... which he consciously denies them at the end right yes um so yeah, eventually like th- that whole mystery about what the seminary's goals are becomes fairly banal as they as they fail to appreciate the deeper mystery or or uh the profounder truth rather uh that's like beyond their meager earthly goals. Which that that feels like a church critique or or organized religious critique of some sort the logos and the word and like the word of God and all this kind of stuff kind of factoring into the, the overall, I don't know, themes of the, of the story. And I think that I would argue that, that, that is part of the, it's interesting because I like to, to think of this as, as a critique of language more than a celebration of language. I, I think that's sort of where, where I'm winding up here in the sense that both where the divinity student winds up is that, and and there's a few moments in the actual text where he he writes that like words words fail the description of what happens next or whatever that happens a couple times, and then the divinity student essentially reaches a point of like total silence basically where he's not talking anymore, because, you know I believe what he says to um, Mrs. Uh, Woodwind is. Um, you know, what I know is not for telling. Right. And I think that that's just a, a sort of, it, it's interesting how the themes sort of come to contradict the style. And right. I think that that tension is really interesting and I think surely intentional. Um, 
can I uh can I read a part of that like revelatory moment where Favre's Favre's Jill or whatever is finally just like here's what we want. So this is the guy from the seminary talking to the divinity yeah. student. This is their main agent correspondent, and he's like. It's a myst- it is a mystery and will forever be unfathomable to mortal understanding. Our purpose in sending you to find these words is not the deciphering of the eclogue, which is the actual name of the secret word catalog. That is not our goal. And regardless, it is an impossibility. Rather, we at the seminary feel that a more comprehensive semantic understanding of the basic qualities of the eclogue will enable us to convey the essence of its mystery to the uninitiated more precisely. We must, in short, strive toward an apprehension of what the eclogue is not, and by filling in the darkness around it, develop a corresponding conception of what it is, without pursuing the folly of a direct definition. Then we may create a precedent whereby the knowledge of the mystery of the eclogue may be transmitted in such a manner as to preempt misunderstanding or heresy. (laughs) It's such a hilarious, it's such a hilarious, like, comically accurate understanding of like academic exegetical the 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 sort of exegetical impulse in academia it's so it's so funny i mean that whole yeah that whole unpacking of their actual intentions was was so funny and and concise that it it, i did i was a little you're right i was kind of a bummer on it for a while and then i just read that and i was just laughing this is (laughs) holy this is so fucking funny this is great and he was still like, no, <laughs> that, you know, they're kind of close, but it's just, it's just, yeah. But it's just because they're trying to create a, a positive element and control positive things outside of what is, it seems to me just, uh, yeah, a, a sort of roiling void. Yep. Right, Paul? Yeah, totally right. You're right. Do you ever just see the void? Are you talking directly to me? Yeah. Don't ask a depressed person that question. <laughs> so that's a yes. So that's a yes. It's a yes, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Yo, my boys ever look at the abyss? I, what up, Gabe? I wake up what up, baby? Like, <laughs> my ceiling is the void. My screen. My the bottle, the bottom of my beer bottle. I, I just you know. I, Sometimes I get a good look at the uh, at that a bussy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I still think Gary Bussy is such a good. <laughs> well, you know who I was thinking of a little bit. A person who's, you know, whose identity will be kept a secret, but who definitely feels like they fall into these kind of meditations. Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Oh God! Of just like, eh, well, you know, it's it's chaos and limited, uh, and so this this uh, this cultivation of a depression and and sense of abysmal nihilism is part of me, but an important part that I need to like constantly nurture. I I actually disagree. Okay, so now for listeners, we're talking about a friend of ours who we'll, we, will, we will not name. Gossip um, Corner. Gossip Corner. Welcome to the Gossip Corner. <laughs> the, the this is the this is the talk soup of uh, of Spinecrackers. Um, 
I actually don't, and we should probably not go down this rabbit hole, but I do not think, I don't think that that's his view. I think his, his view is that there is order that he just doesn't understand yet. They, their view. Too late. Uh, You're talking about Jordan Peterson at first. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned chaos and order. And I was like, Jordan Jordan Peterson. Yeah, it is Jordan Peterson. Did you see Jordan Peterson? We're actually best friends with Jordan Peterson. Did you see his fucking return to YouTube? No, I didn't even see that yet. My man. My man's face is fucked up, and I don't know why. <laughs> it could have been the like psychotic break and stay in a mental institution. And the COVID-19. <laughs> and his daughter impregnated force, by like what force feeding him fucking <laughs> the the meat that falls into the sink in poltergeist constantly <laughs> maybe it's just the fact that his daughter just posts naked basically half of the pictures of herself on instagram <laughs> that's why his face is like that let me get that at i didn't know she posted half naked pictures shit yo yo i my point being peterson another phantom that haunts the edges of our consciousness it seemingly uh would not like cisco <laughs> no he would never like cisco he would never right Can i guess i, uh... I was thinking tangent that the, there's order there's still order to be to be found beyond yes. i mean maybe i'm a simp and i, I kind of got lost in your both of your conversations in the last couple of minutes because like i read this solely is just sort of like an experimental fever dream with a with a nice plot to it but i i I read it as like a like a good joyride a good uh yeah what that doesn't make you a simp yeah what does simping have to do with that yeah i don't know i just i read it as like an enjoyable joyride of language that was really how i read it i didn't i didn't look i didn't read it like looking into it too much which probably I sh- I probably should do because I'm on a book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I read it and mostly as just like this is just like a fun uh, uh, experimental joyride, kind of some soft sci-fi elements. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe like it maybe is some funny. St- I mean, I think yeah, there are there. I mean, I do. I was thinking about just just the sort of the viscerality of it and and the visuality of it as you were saying, Matt, for, for a text. And there's so many moments where I'm just, I, I was picturing and sort of engaged with it visually. So there's the moment when he's chasing, um, uh, oh, I, I don't know why I cannot remember the guy's name. Oh, whatever. Olimer. Olimer. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Olimer. There's the moment where Olimer traps him in a sort of like sigil on the street with in like a circle, a, yeah. In a magical circle, and and the divinity student, and he finally is able to break out by pulling Olimer's hand over the circle, and he's chasing him down the street, and he's like windmilling his hands and throwing trash cans everywhere, and I was just, <laughs> yeah. I was just picturing like an anime chase scene. <laughs> it's like, and like there are a lot of moments in here that do feel influenced by sort of anime aesthetics like the sort of like people standing on rooftops and then like jumping hundreds of feet like and landing you know sort of like ninja style i was gonna go matrix i mean what is this 99 99 yeah 
So I think well, there's a lot of, there's like a variety of, of influences here that are at play. Yeah. Who was the lady that... No idea. The spider lady with the white hands? Yeah. No idea. I was seeing, uh, what's her name? Tim Burton's wife. <laughs> in, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, yeah. I was seeing her in my head. Who was also in Harry Potter. Yeah, that's right. And that's it was what Bellatrix I was Lestrange on the roof. <laughs> I'm trying to get some Bellatrix Lestrange, bro. Every time that I, I read Olimar, I said Ollivander. This is awesome. <laughs> yes. Uh that's because Michael Cisco would agree that he's he's really copping a lot from Potter. Oh yeah. <laughs> he knows. Oh god. I okay, I will say uh uh, do you want to know who I do think stole from this book? I think if we're moving, I think we're probably safe to move into just random uh, reflections and and bits that stuck out. Yeah. Do we, want to, do we want to talk about the ending? I guess the ending maybe supports your theory, Matt, because it feels like he's just wound, he winds up just back in a cab, just driving into the city on a road. Well, I want to talk about, there's right. one too in that last chapter where like it took him a hundred years to get to the center of the city. That's what it that says, one. yeah. And that creeped me out. <laughs> and and he's been he's been freebasing cadaver formaldehyde. Yeah, in a in an abandoned house lent to him by the seminary, uh, for weeks. And uh, we had talked about this a decent amount last episode with Machin, but just. He's crossing the veil. Like people right. are not as people are less real than the, you know, all these weird entities and creatures and spirits and demons and imps and fucking oros and all this stuff takes on far more of a tangible. He's he's just he's shifting over into a different mode of being. When he does talk about how people on the street like like go out of their way to avoid him, which would be consonant with him being like a drug-addled psycho. Yeah, so th that, that was, I mean, again, I think this this story in this book is, is, is supposed to be able to contain multiple levels of interpretation simultaneously, but like, again, this is going off of the tiny little tidbit of how Burroughs was his literary hero based off according to Anne Vandermeer. So, you know, whatever that's worth. Well, when, when Michael Cisco comes on the podcast, we can ask him. We will ask him to his fucking face. <laughs> Is this naked lunch? Did you do naked lunch again? <laughs> we can be like, Hey, Michael Cisco, you're a cisk male. What do you think of this? <laughs> so we really value your opinion over others. Please tell me. But the Just author might the be dead. The author might be dead, but cis males are not, baby. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. And that's why we're friends with Jordan Peterson. Podcast <laughs> <laughs> next next week. Hey guys, ignore. Do as I say, not as I do. Okay. My first, my first <laughs> pick for book club will have to be uh, the New Testament. <laughs> Jordan Peterson, he just no, his first pick would just be the, the coffee menu from Tim Hortons. <laughs> Crack open a nice bag of all dressed potato chips and 
sorry. The, all, all, my one thought at one point reading was just that these things could comport to an alternate reality in which the man is a drug addict who is maybe uh, uh, someone just out of AA uh, or NA rather and like is filled with like the hollow phrases of like a highly Christian recovery program uh, or some sort of person paid to be an informant on a larger drug ring uh, who ends up just relapsing and all those cars are like feds and uh, you know there, there's just, there's a lot of the dude the divinity student wakes up out of a haze on the street Most many times yeah it's like kind of his mode after a while and uh, yeah like you said he, he's a sort of odious figure who people give a wide berth um i don't know i i i had a lot of off the dome examples initially but no i think it's it's plausible i think it is plausible but my my initial summation maybe it's because i didn't read the forward about him being it's it's only two pages yeah you should read it it's it's worth reading on my kindle version i don't have it so i didn't read but um Maybe if I did read it, I would have had a, a more, a, a, a like a, a, a connection with Burroughs like you had, but I read it more as like some sort of Frankenstein story than anything. Um, I, I didn't really take that uh, drug addict avenue with my thought. It was more just like this person that was stuffed with papers on the first page and they get powers. But like, I always had this idea in the back of my mind, like, they can't last forever because his body is just full of fucking paper. Like he's going to like degrade and die someday horribly. After he, uh, after he Naruto runs around the whole town, just ripping stuff yeah. off the ground. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't really, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I, I read it. What like trying to ground it ever. So I, I, I never really like tried thinking like oh this could relate to this something like this in a more realistic way i just why we're all here baby we got different vibes yeah different vibes for different tribes i think um i have a pretty clear connection though that i think i think i'm gonna accuse somebody of ripping this book off in a way that might be controversial Ooh, okay um what jk rowling yeah wait when was when did harry potter come out 90 no like 96 okay all right so all right well we really should know if we're, if we're gonna do a literary podcast we have to know when the first harry potter book came out we really should yeah we'll be we'll be back with that knowledge but i'm gonna take you guys on the um pdf matt i don't know about you paul where yours is it's yeah, right yeah. at the beginning of chapter nine the butcher um page you don't know what page it is it's 52 on the pdf oh i got you okay but i don't know where paul is um, it's, it's literally right at the beginning of chapter nine. It's the second paragraph. Yeah. Uh, read along with me. When With uneasy steps, he navigates down the street to a crossroads. Chickens scattering in his path, complaining in his wake. A kerchiefed woman beats a rug in front of her house, singing, Lali Le Lulo. Hideo Kojima read this book and ripped it off for Metal Gear Solid 2. The Lali Le Lo is a ripoff of Michael Sisko's The Divinity <laughs> Student. And I'm, that- suing, and I'm suing, and I'm suing. And I'm suing. When did that come out? 2001, baby. 
<laughs> yeah, that's totally. I didn't. Oh my god! When I read, I read that, I was like, "Well, when you sing the song, I get emotional, and I start to like Hideo Kojima again." So, don't do that. He didn't, but write, he didn't write the song. I don't care. <laughs> it's stirring. It's a stirring anthem. But you're right. It's clear as day. He's an absolute <laughs> pirate. He's a hack fraud, and his game should be denounced from PlayStation. His game should so, be deleted. <laughs> this podcast is officially anti Metal Gear Solid. Hideo Kojima is a is a, a hack and a plagiarist. Mm-hmm. And yeah. He's I mean, you can fucking quote me in the Supreme Court. <laughs> Amy, Amy Kojima <laughs> Barrett. <laughs> With her gun arm. <laughs> Amy Kojima Barrett. <laughs> Kuwabara, Kuwabara. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he clearly ripped off the Lolly Lule Low from this book. Yeah. And um, that's that. That's I only right. had... I only had one Mind other. Rapper... S- <laughs> <laughs> we'll clap back. We will clap back, baby. We don't. We don't mess around. I only had one other thing that I wanted to read that because I thought it was awesome, and it was like, it was like a hybrid of like Tremors and if Star Wars was like actually willing to go dark ever, which they're not, and they should. Um, that's another conversation. So uh, there's so in the, one of the sort of like small world building moments about the sort of setting is that this city is surrounded by 10 foot long monitor lizards that like run around and just stare into the city at night and their eyes reflect off the lights of the city. And it sounds extremely terrifying. Um, yeah. But there's like a path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or like like fucking crate dragons, which you wouldn't know unless you're a real Star Wars fan, Matt. Um, <laughs> so so anyway, I just wanted to read this. Paragraph. Ooh, I'm mad. <laughs> I just wanted to read this paragraph or the, this half paragraph because I thought it was really effective and and cool and world building and um, uh, interesting and hallucinatory. So this is when he this is towards the end. He's having a sort of like fever dream about. Um, what's going on he's starting to see sort of shapes and and demons and other sorts of figures after having ingested the formaldehyde memories of some of these these word finders um this is on 106 matt in the pdf okay uh uh it's that paragraph break there it says now he's always dreaming and so sensitive to the slightest excess of sensation that daytime is too much for him he remains inside all day quailing with a sense of brittle fragility that threatens to erupt in splitting pain and when night brings him relief he wanders the streets passing cemeteries filled with ghosts standing in their graves quietly chorusing ocs after him eyes closed hands pat the air his eyes closed and and his hands pat the air just the same. He then leaves San Beneficio altogether to walk outside in the desert. The monitors ignore him, lying motionless in rows, a petrified forest of black shapes against the horizon, eyes staring, reflecting light back in the city. 
He still sees strange things, but away from the street lamps, he can't make them out clearly. They're much larger and slower out in the desert, sometimes whispering past him just a few inches away, whale-sized or larger and glacially silent. And the eclogue takes on the mute, immediate face of an animal. He'll look up at the stars or a gibbous moon and a vast shadow will swim by overhead, diving between the clouds, occasionally sinking low to drift along the ground. So spooky. So creepy. I hate big things. I hate big things like swimming in big spaces. <laughs> and that was like a very scary description to me. Well, I, I have a description about, about the lizards too that I, I highlighted that is more funny to me. It was uh it was in chapter eight, like four four paragraphs down. Yes. Uh <laughs> this made me laugh actually. It says a lizard a lizard appears through an overgrown gap in the wall. Expressionless with concentration, the both of them watch the pile of crumbs. He's drawing the lizard with a quiet sound he makes in his nostrils, breathing the hot air out so as to make a pitch that the sound sound like the straw rubbing together. The lizard likes that. It's brown, a foot long. Legs moving in circles that comes forward to get that bread. The divinity student's eyes go black. <laughs> black clouds settle over his eyes. Black clouds like swarms of flies and up comes the lizard. It starts eating the bread. The divinity student's hands, hand whips out, strikes the lizard with certainty on the side of the head, sending it sprawling on its side, legs in the air. It thrashes and dies. <laughs> <laughs> he just punches the lizard to death. It's yeah. awesome. It's so, it's so Naruto. One thing that I don't think we mentioned is that like the divinity student gets like, he has kind of like a dark side and he starts getting like mean to, to Ollivander as well. And he and him, he calls him a clown, which I thought was so funny. Every time he called him a clown, I was laughing. He just had no respect for her. Welcome to the gulag. If you survive, you earn your freedom. Take two, uh, take all right, y'all. Welcome back. Apologies. We had a little bit of a technical hiccup there, uh, aka my computer pooped all over my face. And, uh, <laughs> and he loved it. It was John uh, McAfee style. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I, I won't. I'm not gonna not, say I didn't love it. He's not mad. Not mad. Not mad about it. Um, but you, you are our precious listener, at the receiving end of of this by trickle down poop on, uh, might not be so happy. And so, just so you know, that's what happened. We apologize, and your Patreon donations. Just kidding. We don't have a Patreon yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. But luckily, we were nearing the end of the conversation anyway. I think uh, so. Do we have any final thoughts about about this about this book? Um, I had two other sort of just associated. Yes, let's go. Books that also just sprung to mind reading this, which again I think is a, a good sign of something evocative and 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 rich if it like brings us many things about. One was what was fueling my drug addict notion which was uh, Under the Volcano mm. by uh, Malcolm Lowry. Um, just because it's a guy who is living in this small town in, in Mexico, and he's the consul there, and he's an absolute just fall down delirium tremens drunk. And so the whole town is like, it's Dia, Dia de los Muertos and like, so there's just all this shit. There's like an overabundance of life and it's like the dead, you know, it, it, 
there's lizards and there's skeletons and all this kind of stuff. So I, I definitely thought about that book. And then another one was one, Gabe, that we we had read a long time ago. And I can't even remember the author, but it's called Motorman. Oh, man. I remember that book. Olman or something? Yeah. Like uh, o, 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 it's like O-H-L-M-A-N or something. Let me look it up. Which is completely just this like bananas story that takes place in a, in a, you know, sui generis kind of realm. And there's these people with heads that are bladders that inflate and deflate. And there's this like David, toxic river. David Ole, O-H-L-E. And I can't even frankly remember what that story is about. It's someone trying to go from point A to point B mm -hmm. in this world. But like, again, just in terms of, a fever dream of just de specific details in world building contextlessly given. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Those, so, so, so those two things, I don't know. That's, they, a, they that's were, a good, that's a good throwback. We should actually probably reread that at some point Yeah. for, for this potentially. Um, Cause I remember really enjoying it. Well, I mean, one of, me. one of the books that I have a couple final thoughts, one of the books that this this reminded me of also, aside from Oomsville, which I won't revisit, was uh, it, 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 it's, it's called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And <laughs> there we go. There, there we it go. is. That's it. It's the last time. That's the last time. <laughs> but but my, my, my genuine my genuine final thought is that I actually think this story would be a really interesting i would really love to see someone pick this up and try to make a like a tv series out of it i know that sounds weird but i could see it being like a really interesting and effective like season of television so like 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 the guy like and you, you you'd have to build in a bunch of stuff that's not in the story but i actually think there are certain I think there's a lot of stuff that could have been extended. I think this could have been much longer and like much, gone much more in depth on, on certain things. And it would have been not necessarily better, but it would have been fine. It would have also been good. And, and like, for example, we only really get details about how they access the dead bodies of like three of the 12. Yeah. Right. So there's 12, there are 12 old word finders that they have to find and get their brains to do the ritual with. And we only see in any detail the process of how that happens with three of them. Um, so I'm thinking like a, a, a limited series where we get the background of the divinity student and everything and the world building and all that in the first episode. And then there's a, a, a episode dedicated to them finding each of the 12 bodies, like a 13 episode season or something. And I'm thinking like that could actually be like really cool and interesting. So yeah. I think it actually could translate pretty well to like a, a, a visual format, even despite all of the the bizarre sort of writing and 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 the way that it's the, you know depicted. I think in the right hands, this could be a really interesting property. <laughs> I hate to use that term to you to to translate into the visual space, right? Especially because it's so visual. Yeah, it's okay. it's written very visually, and I think the plot lends itself to 
if you expanded the world a little bit to episodic storytelling, like we're finding this this word finder tonight. We're going to dig up this grave. And they're all different. Like one guy is like buried in a grave. One guy, one one corpse is like in a heavily guarded museum that they have to infiltrate. And yeah. like, so like, and if you just expand that and find like a cool story about how they have to get to each corpse, I think that'd be really fucking cool. I agree. Definitely. I agree. I actually had uh, some callbacks to like Philip K. Dick a little bit. Mm. I felt a little bit like I've only read a couple books by him, but in the same way that Blade Runner was expanded um, from Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, I feel like you're right though. Like this, I, I didn't have that feeling until you just said it, but I do think that it could be translated well to us, like a nine episode uh, show. It'd be fucking cool. Let's let's do it. Let's make a pitch to HBO right now. <laughs> Well, I'm curious about Michael Cisco as well, because Gabe, you were you had bought Animal Money first, yeah, and we're just kind of curious overall. It seems beforehand about him. Yep, uh, that's a long ass book. Yeah, the book that's like a, so that I think that's his most recent novel, um, and it's it's, it's I I don't know much about it, but I think it's about a world where animals are used as money basically yeah yeah and uh it's yeah it's like 900 pages or some shit um (laughs) and i'm definitely excited i'm excited to read it now after this and the i think another one was the great lover that's what i saw that i yep and then there's there's a book there's a book called the narrator um there's a book called the tyrant so he he has a lot of uh he's not necessarily prolific but he's been writing since you know, the late nineties and he's been producing stuff consistently. So, I mean, I definitely, I, I was left wanting for more mm-hmm. and I will be reading other works by him. And I think uh, the great lover or whatever will be the next one. Yeah. But animal money looks cool. I'm going to read it. I have it here. So 900 pages, Jesus. Yeah. This made me think of the, uh... I mean, if I was to think of like a director to direct the series, I would probably pick Peter Jackson, who directed <laughs> The Hobbit. <laughs> don't meme at us, bro. You're memeing. No, yeah. Paul, if, if you keep Paul, if you keep making Hobbit references, we're gonna out your secret Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Well, that actually would probably be good for me. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Are we going to play the game like who should direct this movie? Do we want to do that or direct this show? We could. I hadn't thought about it. Uh... Well, this would be, I mean, again, this would require a high budget to do effectively. Yeah, which, very which high. Would, I would, would hire. I would which hire, put it into a place where it's not TV. Maybe it's HBO. Well, I would I would hire whoever did Perry Mason. Let's see what you did, bro. <laughs> Perry Mason. That's interesting. Why? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they, whoever was in charge of the Perry Mason show on HBO, did a great job of like world building and making that world believable. And I okay. Here's my pick, and I I'm probably just saying this because I just finished watching Devs, but I would like to see Alex Garland work with some material like this because one of the things that he's good at is sort of like sci-fi but it's not like over the top sci-fi it's grounded and it's sort of soft sci-fi 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's my final answer, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind just because I just finished watching devs and I enjoyed this is, it. This is this doesn't seem like the material Garland likes. I don't think I don't think he I don't think he would do it, but I think it would be interesting if he was forced to do it. What about what's that show with Orlando Bloom where he's a fairy? Fucking um, oh, uh, Carnival Row. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What yeah, about yeah. Like that? Yes. Yeah. That could be a vibe. Or what? Oh, what if it's just um, what's his fucking bucket? Uh, Damon Lindelof. My oh, that would that would take. Yeah, I mean he. I mean, frankly, he's like my choice for everything, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But but I do think after I mean, if 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 the man's looking for a limited series. Like a like like there's literally a hard cap of like 13 episodes or something and there's no sequel. Uh he's shown he's been able to do that excellently. So well given given this. You know, I, I, I don't think it's crazy to call Alan Moore a participant in this general category of work. Yeah. In fact, probably a generation removed or a little less from Cisco. Yep. So, I mean, you know, we're dancing around the territory of who's adapted what and who is involved in what and Lindelof. Yes, I like that. Um, Let's uh, maybe move into the fan favorite segment, everyone's favorite segment of the show. Uh, We literally just read another book where we assign all of the characters, all the major characters from the book that we just read into Harry Potter houses because uh, we just read another book and we're allowed to talk about Harry Potter now. That's right. So get off our backs. And the divinity student is Ravenclaw. Divinity student is Ravenclaw. Yep. Yep. No question. Easy. That's a a slam dunk for me. Yep. The most Ravenclaw that can ever. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Initially, Hufflepuff. You're like, oh, is oh, is he Hufflepuff? And then right. he's, oh, no, no, no. He's a seeker. Yes. Yeah. He's a seeker. He's he needs the knowledge. <laughs> and I, I, who, so then, what about uh, uh, miss it? Okay, we'll go with um, Olimer. What about Olimer? Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Clear Hufflepuff, right? Clear. Hufflepuff. Clear. Cut and dried academic. Yes. Yeah. Like literally the the platonic form of Hufflepuff in some ways. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. What about Miss Miss Wood Miss Woodwind? I think she's Gryffindor. Yeah, I was gonna say Gryffindor. Well, she could be Hufflepuff. She she lives in the Divinity Student's haunted house way past when she should have. Like she and she. There's a lot of like like of her perspective not for it's not first person but describing her where she's thinking about leaving and she like keeps staring at the front door like should i fucking leave or what after she gets pulled into his body snatching schemes but she stays with him she's very loyal i don't know if it's loyalty though bro i think Mm. i I feel like it's it's what the divinity student potentially could reveal she wants she wants to be in the room where it happens as it were oh god (laughs) yeah i mean it's like look around look around 
Oh, God. And it's lucky that she is alive right now to see potentially such an interesting, you know, an interesting breakthrough. Right. So, well, so what are you saying? Are you, is she? I think she's more brave. I think she's genuinely creeped out and uh, very self-composed. Yeah. So Gryffindor? Well, and initially. Pun, in, unintended. <laughs> yes. Got and it, well, and initially she draws him in, right? Like she draws him into sort of a relationship uh, early on. Well, he's a bull cell. He's a, yeah. That's the other house he's in. Whatever the Volcel house is. Yeah. <laughs> Ravenclaw uh, also. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm seeking knowledge. <laughs> not. I'm seeking knowledge. Not. What? Sex? Okay. Well, I heard a poon. (laughs) (laughs) So outdated. Yeah, we're 30. Uh, (laughs) Over, baby. Over. Yikes. We just gave ourselves away. Magellan? Magellan is... Gryffindor. Probably... He's Gryffindor, yeah. Like he's a seeker of knowledge, but he's a chad about it. Right. He 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 actually came out of this shining and on the gravy train with biscuit wheels because he he he. They were like, "You're the first run at this," and he was like, first of all, no. Second of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna create a, a booming business out of it." And live in the Orpheum, literally the center of town in a fucking, like, garden. And just be fanned by, you know, my servants and just spitting formaldehyde at people and just having cool hallucinogens. <laughs> and no, no, no fallout from that. He's fine the entire book. He's totally, like, unaffected in any way. Right. Yeah. Okay, so... T.O. Desden, Hufflepuff. Yes, Hufflepuff. Also the, cool. The ninja butcher. Things. The ability yeah. to kill flies by throwing knives at them in midair. He is pretty sick like that. Yeah. He's nice with it. Cuts he is. He's also, you know, he's psychotic. Oh, yeah. Because he, he does he does some shit with the body afterwards. That we don't want to know about. He gets a we, huge boner when he finds out that the divinity student is working with dead bodies. Yeah, he's like, oh, is, oh you're getting can the gas. I, oh, can I, can I help? Yeah, and he's like, do you want to? He's like, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> it's so chill, whatever you want, dude. It's fine, it's fine. Just let me do everything. I'll dispose of them. You can have whatever you want. Just give me the body. Give me the rest of it. I think that's most of the, the main characters, right? Yeah, no one else is really... Uh, 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 fuck, what the fuck's his name? Who the um the guy from the uh, point man uh, the point man for the seminary? Z- Z- yeah, I know. What the hell is his name? <laughs> You'd think we have we'd have this. Uh... You'd think we'd have it on lock, having literally just read it. It's but... like Flavius or something. <laughs> so what? Faz Virgil. Faz. Thank you, thank you, Faz Virgil. Thank you, Paul. <clears throat> Faz Virgil is a Slytherin. Yeah, yeah. he clearly it. like manipulates the divinity student into doing what he wants. Right. It's not clear what he gets from it. Uh, uh, I'm assuming 
some benefits from the then. Well, he's a knowledge seeker, but it's for bad reasons. It's not for Ravenclaw reasons. It's for it's it's manipulative Slytherin reasons. He's the deep state. He's the deep state. <laughs> he's seeking knowledge, but just in order to ha- have a base layer of control. Exactly. Yes. You know, and then it stops there. Okay, so we got Vagisil dealt with. <laughs> should we uh, should we do final scores? Do is there anything else we need to cover? I think that's like. I, I think yeah, I think that's yeah. it. All right, Paul. What do you, Paul? Where you at, buddy? I'm at uh, 4.0. Nice. I'll go. I'm I'm gonna go. Three point eight six. Right on. Uh, 3.64. Nice. I'm pretty sure that's very close to what I gave the last book. <laughs> and and we, there will be a constant re-review. That's right. That's of right. Scoring. This is all subject to change whenever we want. Yeah. I, I feel like we can't, we shouldn't change them ever. We can oh no, I'm changing it constantly all the time. I'm never yeah, dude. Mine. That's fine. We all know you give the Hobbit a hundred every time. Yeah. 100 out of five. <laughs> yeah. Hobbit. <laughs> Hobbit is your pole star whenever reading anything. Exactly. I love the desolation of smog so much. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, on that note. Au revoir. Au revoir. Thank you, dear listener. Uh, Paul, anything you want to say? Bye bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we love you deeply and profoundly. Hugs and kisses.